There's a word from the Lord in the book of Psalm, the 127th division of Psalm, Psalm 127. I'm going to read verse 3 to get us started. This is from the New King James Version. Listen to what that third verse of the 127th division of Psalm says. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord. Children are a blessing from the Lord. I want to preach about a spiritual reset for our children. A spiritual reset for our children. We have already talked about a spiritual reset for our soul, a, a reset for our mind, a reset for our heart, a reset for our body, a reset for our church. Now we don't want to leave our children out. We want to make sure that our children have a spiritual reset. I don't know if you've ever been to the beaches in Florida. There's a lot of signage there. And the signs are indicating that they want people to leave baby turtles alone during the nesting season. From like May to October, some species of turtles, like the loggerhead turtle, will, the mother turtle will come out of the ocean, come across the sand in the middle of the night, and then dig a hole in the sand and lay about a hundred eggs and then cover it back up and she'll make her way back to the ocean with those flippers as she's leaving a trail. So the authorities know that this is where the nesting for uh, those baby turtles are. And they put up signage. It's against the law to bother that, to mess with that in any kind of way. And then two months later, uh, those eggs will hatch and the baby turtles will come out. They only weigh like seven, eight, or nine ounces uh, when they first get here. Now, those turtles will grow to be like 200, 300 pounds, but to start life, they're only seven or eight ounces. And they have to dig their way out of that hole that they were left in. And, and oftentimes, it's at night when it's happening. And when they finally get out of that hole, they follow the brightest light. So if it's in the evening, they'll follow the light from the moon and it will lead them to the ocean, that environment where they, that God made it possible for them to survive and thrive. If it's early in the morning, they'll follow the light from the sun. They follow the brightest light to get them to the area where they will survive and thrive. But sometimes those baby turtles get disoriented in that night. And instead of following the moon or the sun, they end up following a light from a hotel or light from a business. And instead of going to the area, that element that God created for them to thrive in, they go in the opposite direction. And those baby turtles die because they were following a lesser light. I wanted to begin this message like that because I'm going to be talking about life is too big for you to try to live without God. That you got to have God in your thinking, you got to have God in your family, you got to have God in your life, God in your career. But I don't want you to confuse what God I'm talking about. I'm talking about the only true and living God. There is but one 
Lord. There's one God. And Grandma said he's God all by himself. And I know people talk about all these little small G gods, and we try to synthesize that and bring all that together like it's the same God. There's only one God. That's Jehovah. And then some of us, in our own thinking and feeling, we try to shape a God into what we want them to be rather than accepting who God is as he is. And rather than accepting the God who's seeking to shape you after his image, some are trying to shape God after their image. When Moses went up in the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, he came back down. The people had turned their back on God, and they had melted down their jewelry and had that golden calf. They shaped that pagan God into what they wanted it to be. And people in the 21st century still do the same thing. This is what I think God is, how I feel about God. That don't make them God because you think that way. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Higher than ours is the heavens are above the earth. The only way we really get to know who God is, God has to reveal himself to us. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said, every single person is born with this innate consciousness that there is a God. All of us, when we get here, we come with a consciousness that there is a God somewhere. So when somebody claims to be an atheist, that's because they have suppressed the truth of God. And as you suppress the truth, the only thing left is a lie. So we come here with a consciousness that there's a God, and we know there's a God. In Romans chapter 1, it says, because we look at creation. We look at the heavens and the earth, and we say, there must be a God somewhere. And we, when we look at the heavens and the earth, here's what we learn about God, that God is a God of power because he created the universe, and he's a God of wisdom because there's so much order in the universe. But that's all we know about him. That's all you can know until God reveals himself to us. And the way God, the true living God, the way he reveals himself to us is through the scriptures, through the word of God. He reveals himself to us through his Holy Spirit. When you believe Jesus died on the cross and God raised it from the dead, his Holy Spirit moves inside of you. He reveals to us uh, knowledge of God. And then God gives us the revelation of who he is because of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So all we knew about God was his power and wisdom. But now when we see Jesus, we see the Father. Now we know God is love because Jesus loved. We know God forgives because Jesus forgave. We know that God is a miracle worker because Jesus performed miracles. So we get this revelation through Scripture, through the Spirit, and through the Son of God to know who God is. So when I'm talking about God today, I'm not talking about some worldly philosophy or ideology or false theology. I'm talking about the all-holy God. I'm talking about the all-powerful God. I'm talking about the all-wise God. I'm talking about the God that's present everywhere at the same time. I'm talking about the God that so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I'm talking about the God that saved So That's the God I'm talking about. Here is what Solomon, who wrote Psalm 127, says about that God. Verse 1, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it unless the Lord builds the house, whatever kind of house it is, house for your family, 
house for your career, house for your business, house for your corporation, house for your life. If you seek to build that house without God, it's useless, it's vain, it's void, it's empty. You got the house because you built it. You built the house without God. You got the house, but you have no satisfaction. You have no fulfillment because you built it without God. You got to have faith and confidence, and the way to receive God is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And now, now you can build this house with God. Now, here's what Jesus helps us, and Solomon too. Solomon helps us understand you can't build your house without God. Now, it's going to be void and empty and vain, but you can do it without him. Jesus says you could build your house without God. Jesus in Matthew 7 had just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And when he finished, here was his closing. If you hear these words of mine and you obey them, I liken you to a man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell, the winds blew, and the flood came, the house stood because it was built on the rock. Then Jesus, in his closing, he said, but if you hear these words of mine and you don't obey them, I liken you to a man that built his house on the sand. Y'all, the rock, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. So the first house built, they built that house with Jesus, with God. The one who built without the rock, built it on the sand, built it without Jesus. It says that the rain fell, the winds blew, and the floods came, and the house fell because it was built on sand. It was built without God because God will let you build your house without him. But God will not let you control the weather once you move in your house. You can, you can build your house without him. You can live in any city you want to live in and never talk to God about it. You can, you can choose any career you want and never pray. You can buy anything you want in life and never discuss it with God. You can marry whoever you want to marry and never ask God's counsel or advice about it because God will let you build your house without him. But he will not let you control the weather. And it's going to rain and the wind's going to blow and the flood's going to come and your stuff is going to be jacked up and messed up because you built it without God. Now, when we build our house with God, it doesn't mean we don't go through storms. It means when it's over, we still going to be standing because we built it with Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. And then, so that, that's personally, that's individually. And then he moves on to that which is social, which is communal. He moves on to community. He says, uh, unless the Lord guards the city, so this is socially, the watchman stays awake, here's the word again, in vain. Unless you're guarding the city, watching the city, protecting that community with God, it's useless, it's in vain, it's void, it's empty, it's vanity. Unless you're, because y'all, there are those who watch over community. There are those who, who try to protect community. But sometimes they're trying to do it without God. Here's what Amos said. Amos said, let justice rush down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. So there are those who want justice in our community, what they don't want is righteousness. They want justice. They just, they just trying to do it without Jesus because they don't want the righteousness. And so they're doing it without God. So 
you, you have these, these non-for-profits that come up and they're protesting and Martin, they're doing all of this, but they're doing it without Jesus. And Solomon says, you're just wasting your time because if you don't do it with God, then, then the vanity is there. Uh, we, b- before the pandemic, we had a revival. We invited Dr. Frederick Douglass Haynes III to preach it, and we called the revival. God led me to call it um, Justice and Jesus because it ain't enough for you just to get justice. Y'all ain't helping me preach this. You need Jesus too. You need to be saved too. So we want the justice and the righteousness. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. And it says they're vain. Vain, that's vanity. There are those who are watching and guarding our community, but they're doing it with an ulterior motive. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to get influence and position. It has nothing to do with the community. It has everything to do with them. So now we got a community that's being guarded by the vanity of humanity rather than the glory of deity. Y'all, this world is so messed up that we got to have God in our community that we can't try to guard, protect, and watch a community without God. And so that's, that's what he's explaining. And then he moves from, uh, from individuality uh, to, to community, and now he moves to family. Watch what he says in verse 2. Solomon says, it is vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. He, he's saying that there is no need for you to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, from early in the morning to late at night, from when the sun rises to when the sun sets, you working every day, seven days a week because you're trying to provide for your family. Solomon says, you don't have to go at it like that because God will provide for your family. Yo, and I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to be judgmental, I promise. I'm not trying to be judgmental because I used to be like that. I used to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. I do admit I like working, but part of it was I need to do that because my family ain't going to be able to make it without me. My community can't do this without me. My church can't do this without me. You know, y'all, we can do it without anybody but Jesus. We have to trust that God is the one who provides. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his, I'm so glad God delivered me from being a workaholic. Now I understand if I seek first his kingdom, he's the one that's going to provide everything that my family needs. My God shall supply all your needs. And so, y'all, your job, your work is a resource for meeting needs. God is the ultimate source for meeting needs. Do I have a witness in here? So that's what he's talking about. So he's saying, you ain't got to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, because God has got you. God is going to provide for you. So he says, you can go on and go to sleep. You can go on and honor the Sabbath day. You can go on and get a reset. You can go on and get a restart. You can go on and get restored, because God has got your family. He's going to meet that need. So he gives his beloved sleep. And some of us ain't slept in years because you think it's all up to you. It ain't all up to you. It's all up to God. Even bears and bats know God will take care of them. 
bears and bats hibernate. They sleep for months because they innately know God is taking care of me. While I'm resting, God is still working. While I'm resting, God is still watching. And if bears and bats can do that, surely believers got enough trust in God to go on and go home and go to sleep. Man, the sleeping industry is a multi-billion dollar industry with a beef, a multi-billion dollar industry because they know y'all can't sleep. So they sell you a special mattress that'll help you sleep. You still ain't sleep. They, they sell you, this is a different kind of sheet here. When you sleep on this sheet, you'll go fast to sleep. This music is designed for you to sleep. This incense, now this is what you need. It's a multi-billion dollar business. You got a special pillow, you got a special sheet, you got a special cover, you got special lighting, you got incense burning, you, and you tossing and turning all night long. I ain't got none of that, and I lay down and go to bed. I'm sleep. Because God gives his beloved sleep. Now, I wish I didn't have to do this part, but I do. This doesn't mean don't work. This means don't overwork. <laughs> it don't mean... Don't, this don't mean don't work. So don't be using Psalm 127 to help with your great resignation. Come on, this just affirms in my spirit that no, this ain't affirming in your spirit. This is not saying don't work. Matter of fact, all through Scripture talks about the importance of us working. In Genesis, it said God worked six days, rested on the seventh day, and uh, then he created us in his image. That means we need to be working six days and resting on the seventh day, honoring the Sabbath day. And we got it twisted. We want to work one day and rest six days. This is not saying don't work. The first commandment God gave to, to humanity was to work. He created Adam, breathed into Adam the breath of life, and then put him in the garden and said, now cultivate this. He farmed this, worked this. He put him to work with his muscle. Then he gave him some more work. Now, name all the animals in the garden. Now he's working with his mind. You and I need to be working with our muscle or mind because God has designed for us to work. In Colossians, Paul says, work as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter what job you have. You work as unto the Lord. You can be a custodian. You can be an Uber driver. You can, I don't, you can be a dentist, a doctor, a lawyer, a bus driver, a pilot. Whatever your job is, work it as unto the Lord, because that's your witness. Here you claim to be a Christian filled with God's Holy Spirit, and you all slowful and lazy and no discipline on your job, go to work and won't work. That's a terrible witness. Got folk clocking you in and you ain't there yet, clocking you out, you've been gone two hours. That's a terrible witness. You're stealing. Work as unto the Lord. You wouldn't do the Lord like that. It's just your witness. Y'all ain't saying amen to none of this. Um, first, first Thessalonians, Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. And I know God wants us working, even in the face of the great resurrection, of resignation. I know God wants us working because one of the largest books in the Bible is J-O-B. 42 chapters of J-O-B. Every time you turn a page, J-O-B, J-O-B, J-O-B. Now, pastor, you know that's pronounced Job. Yeah, and you know it's it spells job. This is about 
us trusting God. God is the provider. We can go home and go to sleep knowing that God will provide everything that we have. And then, so he deals with, the, with, with that individuality, with the community, with family. And then he says this in verse 3, uh, children are a heritage from God. Children are a blessing from God. Children are a gift from God. He's telling you and I, we got to be careful about our perception about our children. Some of us are blessed and don't even know it because we don't look at our children as blessings. We look at them as burdens. And if you think your child is a burden, you treat them like a burden. You don't have to tell them. If you think of them as a burden, you don't have to tell them they're a burden. You automatically treat them like a burden. If somebody thinks you're inferior to them, they don't have to say you're inferior. They automatically treat you like they're superior and you're less than them. Yo, our children are not burdens. And some do say it, telling their children, if I didn't have you, I could have made it. If I didn't have you, I could have been successful. Blaming it on the child, why you didn't make it. If I didn't have you, I, my finances would be better. Y'all, there are successful people with money that got plenty of children. It ain't your child that's keeping, y'all ain't helping me preach today. It ain't your child keeping you from making You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That child is a blessing. Our children are gifts from God. And because they're gifts from God, we need to raise them in houses that are being built by the Lord. Our children are too precious to put them in a house and God ain't got nothing to do with it. And I'm so glad that we serve a God that makes house calls. I'm so glad we serve a God that shows up in the home. And our children deserve a house that has God, that, that's being built by God. And, and how, do I, how do I get God in my house? Will you accept Jesus Christ? If you get him in your heart, you can't help but get him in your house. If you get Jesus in your head, you can't help but get him in your house. If you get him in your habits, he shows up in your house. Yo, I, I, I did a study. I did a study, I guess about 15 years ago. I was looking at, in the New Testament, every house Jesus went in. I looked at every house Jesus went in in the New Testament. And, and I discovered that not only do we need to come to the house of the Lord, we need to let the Lord come to our house. We don't just need to connect with God's house. We need God to connect with our house. Because every house in the New Testament that Jesus went in, something special took place. Peter took Jesus home with him, and his mother-in-law got healed of her fever. Zacchaeus took Jesus home with him, and salvation came to the house, and his family and friends were exposed to Jesus for the first time. And then Jairus took Jesus home with him, and his daughter was raised from the dead. Mary and Martha took Jesus home with them, and Jesus raised their brother from the dead. I took Jesus home with me, and my house ain't been the same since he's been there. I know I got a witness in here somewhere. Won't Jesus make a difference in your home? Children are a blessing from God. They deserve to be raised in a house that the Lord is helping to build. And they deserve to be in a community that the glory of God is watching it. You know, this doesn't mean don't register to vote. This doesn't mean don't vote. This doesn't mean we're not going to hold elected officials accountable. That's not what I'm saying. This doesn't mean we're not going to empower 
elected officials who are looking out for our interests in our community. We're going to do all of that. But ultimately, we're going to depend on God to watch our community. We're going to depend on God to guard our community, to protect our community. You know, because you think about Jesus, the responsibility that he left to take care of community, it was not elected officials. The responsibility to take care of community, he didn't leave that to social justice leaders. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't leave that to non-for-profits and parachurch ministries. He left that for disciples. Jesus said, I want those of you who are Christians, those of you who are believers, I want you to be the one to take care of this community and look out for this community because you already got God inside of you. You know, everything we do with the rock, we do it in the name of Jesus. That's why we even call it the rock. It's because it, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He left that responsibility to us. Jesus said, I was hungry. And, and then he said, and I, I want to thank you for starting the urban garden so I can get some fresh vegetables. I was hungry. And I appreciate you opening the care center to feed my family. I was hungry. Thank you for bringing the, the Rock Fresh Market into a, 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 a food desert so that my family can have some healthy, affordable uh, meals to go on in our lives. He said, I was in prison. And then you came up to, as a partnership with reentry programs so that I can get reacclimated to my society and find a job and make a difference in my community. Jesus said, I was sick, and you made sure that I had health care even though I had a pre-existing condition. He's leaving this up not to politicians, but to believers, to disciples to get this done. He says, I was outdoors, I was homeless, and you renovated a house so that my family could have somewhere we could afford, and you built new homes that were nice but not out of price so that we can afford something decent to live in. You built the Sunstone Apartments so that my family can have somewhere with a roof over our head. He didn't leave that up for social justice groups. That's for Christians to, do I have a witness in here? Everything about the Rock Initiative it's in the name of Jesus because our children are so precious that they need a community that God is watching over with his glory. Our children are so precious. They need to be in families that recognize it is God that meets needs. Yo, you and I got to pass on to our children how we made it <laughs> and who took care of us. Stop all that. I'm a self-made man. Stop lying to your kids. They too precious for you to lie to them. You ain't no self-made man. You ain't no self-made woman. It is he that have made us and not we are. God made us. And all the people that helped you to make it now, you claiming all that for yourself? No, God made all of that happen. Telling your kids, I picked myself up by my bootstraps. Negroes didn't have boots or straps. That's why we were singing, uh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes and walk all over. Because we ain't had no shoes down here. But God made a way. And we need to let our children know if it had not been for the Lord on our side, we would not have made it, that he is a provider. One of the leading causes of death among children in the United States is suicide. Suicide? You, you somehow think you can't make it? 
You somehow think you got to end your own life and jump off a bridge, slit your wrist and put a bullet through your head. But if we can get in their spirit that no matter what you face in your life, God is the one that provides. God still opens doors. He still heals the sick. He still forgives sin. He still answers prayer. He still pays bills. Do I have a witness in this place? God is a provider. And, and this is what he says about children. He said they're a blessing. And for those who don't understand it, here's what Solomon said. He said, they're, they're like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. It's an illustration he's using. He said, y'all don't know anything about babies being blessings, but you do know about arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. So if you understand arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, then you understand how blessed parents are to have children. Well, what are arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior? What does that look like? Well, one thing about it, is a mighty warrior understands, I'm not going to hold on to these arrows always. At some point, I'm going to release this arrow. No great warrior gets a bunch of arrows and just holds on to them the whole time. No, they release them. And that's how we ought to be with our children. When God blesses you with children, it ain't for you to hold on to them always. At some point, you got to release them. You got to know when to hold on to them and when to let them go. And what I mean by that is stop treating grown children like babies. Okay, I can't get no help with this message. I said stop treating grown children like infants. At some point, they got to be released. You got to know when to hold on to them, when to let them go. Willie, Pastor Willie Richardson, this man, I invited him to our church when we were on 22nd Street. We were one church in one location with one service, and I brought him in to talk about the family. And we had a few nights, and he was uh, dealing with uh, husbands and wives. He was dealing with parenting and all that kind of stuff. Here's what he said. This is not me. This is Willie Richardson, not Jeffrey Johnson. Willie Richardson says that in a two-parent household, when you have sons and daughters, that the father knows when it's time for the son to leave. And the mother knows when it's time for the daughter to leave. Because fathers and daughters have such a unique relate. It's very interesting to me when I see fathers and daughters relate to each other. And it's such a unique relationship that sometimes, Willie Richardson said, the father doesn't know when it's time for the daughter to leave. But the mother knows, and she'll even say, that girl got to get out of here. It's time for her to go. <laughs> and then the other side of that, you have mothers and sons with these unique relationships. I, I saw it with Lady Sharon and our sons. And Lady Sharon, she didn't know when it was time for them to leave, so I had to make it clear. It's time for them to leave. It's time because they're like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, and I'm getting ready to release them. It's time to let them go. So you can't, you can't hold on to grown children. To, now, let me qualify this, because I know we're living in a recession and depression and, and inflation. I, I get that. And we got multiple generations in the same household. We got three or four different generations in the same house. I understand that. I grew up in poverty. I know about making adjustments so that you can survive financially. I understand that. I'm not talking about three or four different generations in the same house 
trying to get it together financially. I'm talking about three or four generations in the same house and only one generation is working. That's what I'm talking about. Three or four generations in the same house and only one generation is making a contribution to the house. In every house, everybody that lives in the house needs to make a contribution to the house for success. Everybody to stay there. And if that ain't, if that ain't happening, it's time for a release. Y'all ain't helping me with this stuff. <laughs> time to be like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. What else about arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior? The warrior, the, the great warrior expects arrows to go further than the warrior. So the arrows are designed to go further than where the warrior is. Yo, our children need to go further than how far we've, I told my sons that. We, we would talk about education, they want to talk about college. I'm like, no, we're talking about masters and doctorates. Your mom and I got bachelor's degrees. I worked on my master's. You need to go further than, that's why Jake working on his PhD right now, because you ought to go further. And it wasn't just education. I wasn't just talking about education, and I'm not just talking about money, and I'm not just talking about how big a house is. I'm talking about life itself, that our children need to go further in life as they follow the right light and thrive. Because I told my sons, I said, man, y'all standing on, your, on the shoulders of your mom and I. You're supposed to go further. We standing on the shoulders of your grandparents. They standing on the shoulders of your great-grandparents. They standing on the shoulders of, of our ancestors. All of that happened before you got here. You benefit from all of that and you ain't going nowhere. You ought to go. Every generation ought to go further than the previous generation. Look at all the sacrifices that have been made, all the investments, all the things that have done, and now you sitting on the sideline doing nothing? Oh, no, you're going to be like an arrow in the hand of a mighty warrior. And, and for parents whose children aren't going anywhere, here's how a mighty warrior gets his arrow to go further than they are. It's the tension of the bow. And the more tension you provide in the bow, the further the arrow is going to go. We keep trying to create an environment in the home with no tension. Every time they ask for something, yes. Every time they want to get something, you rush out and buy it. You just, whatever they want to do, you just let, ain't no tension. But you know, Pastor, I had a rough uh, uh, upcoming when I was a child, and it was really hard and difficult, and you know, it was a lot of pain, and I, I just don't want my children to go through what I went through. Did you amount to anything? Because if you amounted to something, it may be that struggle that made you strong. It, it may be that chaos that built your character. Do I have a witness in this? But God uses difficulty to develop us. So all the difficulty that we're going through is God developing us. When you sit up here with no tension, they get to do whatever they want, go wherever they want, and then you give them whatever they want, and now when they get in the real world, they think we're going to treat them like that too, and we ain't going to treat them like that. Now they have this sense of entitlement because you never let them struggle. Okay, y'all not. All right. No, no, no. Y'all ain't saying amen. 
I'm going to make sure that you at least understand it. I'm going to go back to my baby turtles nesting. And the baby turtles, when they are born, uh, their, their mom comes on the sand, digs a hole in the dark and puts them in the hole and covers it up and leaves. When the, when the baby turtles are born, yo, when th those eggs are hatched, they are in the dark in a hole that they mama put them in. You talking about a rough start. They in the dark, in a hole? How'd you get here? My mama did this to me. And it took them two days to dig out of the hole? That's because they don't have hands and feet. They got flippers trying to dig out of a hole of sand. And it took two days to make that happen. Then even after they get out of the hole, now they got to go across the sand following that. they following the right light. They're going to the right destination. It's just that sand is hard to manipulate and maneuver. And then people like you and I from the Midwest, we feel so sorry for the baby turtle because I don't want you to have to go through the hard time I went through. And so we go and pick them up and we, you don't have to go through all of that because I, I get you there and you put them in that ocean and then they die never having swam because when those flippers are maneuvering through the sand, the struggle and the strife and the strain builds the strength. So when they get to their environment, now they can thrive in it. Do you want to know why God didn't just pick you up out of the hell you're going through and take you to your final destination? Because you wouldn't be able to survive when you got there. It's your struggle that he's using to build your strength. Do I have a witness in here? I got to get to the last thing. I got to get to the last thing. And the last thing is this. God uses our children to bring us victory. The last verse says, your children are going to overcome your enemies at the city gate. The city gate. Y'all, that's where issues were settled at the city gate. Business deals were done at the city gate. Even court took place at the city gate. And Solomon says, now that you recognize your child is a blessing and you bringing them up in a house that the Lord made, and now you you using God's glory in community to watch out over them, that you understand God is the one that provides everything they need and you pass that on to them, you, you helping them to develop, to get to where God wants them. He said, man, these are the children that are going to bring victory. God ties our victory into our children. So when we raise the children in the admonition and the way of the Lord, when we train up a child in the way they should go, when they get old, they won't depart from it. It doesn't mean they're going to always follow it, but it does mean they will never forget it. And eventually, these are the children that are going to come and bring us victory. Y'all got to get this. Um, I'll, I'll do it like this. I'll do it like this. Moses, when Moses was born, he was born in Egypt, but he was born a Hebrew slave. And the head of state for Egypt, the head of state for Egypt, the pharaoh, the king, had a new legislation, a new law, a new decree. They installed a new system, a new policy. And here's what the policy dealt with, that if a Hebrew girl is born, you can leave her alone, give her opportunities, give her scholarships, give her chances to make it and all that. But if a Hebrew boy, when he's born, that he's to be taken to the Nile River, thrown into the Nile and die. And I want you to know this is a system, this is a policy that was instituted 
not for every community, but for a particular community, a, a particular uh, demographic. It wasn't for everybody. It was a particular community, a particular color, a particular gender, a particular age. Those are the ones that are going to be destroyed because of the new policy of the head of state. But Moses' mom was a praying woman. She's from the tribe of Levi. <laughs> and not only was she praying, but she put her prayers into practice. And she made Moses as a baby this basket and made it waterproof, put it into the Nile River. Now, he's in the same thing other boys his age are going through that are being destroyed. But he's selling through what they were sinking in because his mama gave him something that would float. Boy, I wish I had time to work on that. We're more interested in our children getting in sports than getting saved. We're more interested in our children being cheerleaders than being Christians. No, you got to give them something that'll float because when all hell breaks loose, that ain't going to help them through nothing. But when you got Jesus, everything is going to be all right. And when his mama saved him as a baby, when Moses became an adult, he came back and saved her and the whole nation because the victory is tied in to how we raise our children. I'm trying to shut it down, but when Jesus was born, when Jesus was born, man, he was born king of the Jews. Y'all, everybody else that was king became king, not Jesus. He was king when he got here. He was born king of the Jews. But when King Herod heard there's a boy born king of the Jews, he now instituted a new law, a policy, a system to try to take Jesus out. And he sent the military police, not to every community, but to a particular community in Bethlehem. And they didn't try to destroy everybody, but a certain color, a certain age, certain demographic, a certain gender. They sent them after the boys two years and under. But Jesus' mother and stepfather made some moves in the boy's life that kept him safe even though he was an at-risk child. And they saved Jesus when he was a baby. But when Jesus was 33, he died on the cross, saved his mama, saved the community, and saved us because the victory was in the child. Do I have a witness in this place? Y'all, we got to bring up our children in the admonition and the way of the Lord. Do I have a witness here? Don't give me a mansion on top of a hill. Don't give me this world with its shallow thrills, but give me a savior. My life he can hold. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. No fame or fortune, no riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. Anybody rather have Jesus than somebody give him glory in this house? Hey! 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 Come on, stand with me.